0: Our reading today comes from Our World Belongs to God and it's section 44. Life is a gift from God's hand who created all things. Receiving this gift, thankfully, with reverence for the creator, we protest and resist all that harms, abuses, or diminishes the gift of life, whether by abortion, pollution, gluttony, addiction, or foolish risks. Because it is a sacred trust, we treat all life with awe and respect, especially when it is most vulnerable, whether growing in the womb, touched by disability or disease, or drawing a last breath. When forced to make decisions at life's raw edges, we seek wisdom in community, guided by God's word and spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We are in the second week of looking at uh, Our World Belongs to God, which is a a contemporary uh, testimony that has been written uh, and rewritten now uh, as it tries to articulate what does it mean to live and be God's people in this day and age. How do, we, how do we live faithfully as the people of God here and now? And this uh, part that we're looking at between last week, this week, and next week is, is towards the end of that testimony. And, and what it's talking about is the mission of God's people. How are we to live as God's people in response to God's grace to us in Jesus Christ? And how do we live as God's people, as a people uh, among whom the Holy Spirit dwells? And so if I, I was to put this on kind of the biblical timeline or the narrative of Scripture, just to, to locate us for a moment, we have at the beginning of Scripture this, this great creation story of, of God who, who, out of his own desire, decides to create. And he creates the heavens and the earth, all that is full of life. And it, it's an abundant, rich life. And in the midst of that kingdom that God is creating, that place where God can dwell and be and engage, he creates humanity to, to bear his image faithfully through the way that they are fruitful and multiply, the way that they fill the earth, the way that they take care of the earth. And we see in the beginning just this This rich image of what God desires that creation would be. But it's not too long into the story where humanity pushes that away and says, we actually want to be God ourselves. We want to take over. And in their rebellion, they refuse to do the work they've been called to do. They aren't fruitful and don't multiply right away. They don't go out into the earth. They, in fact, start, instead of taking care of creation, taking from creation for their own ends and their own purposes. And creation begins to crumble. It talks about how death and decay are ushered in through that act of rebellion. And then God starts on what is uh, uh, the majority of Scripture. It's a a long road of redemption where God says, "I I love my creation too much to let you destroy it completely. And I love you too much to let you be destroyed completely by your own doing. And so in God's redemption, he begins this long work that leads us to Jesus Christ, where God comes in the flesh and dwells among us. And and through his love of, of being incarnate, of becoming created, becoming one of us, God begins to show us how to follow, how to live a fully human, righteous life. And that righteousness lived out through Jesus Christ leads him to die for our sins, to overcome the greatest obstacle, that rebellion between us and God. And as Jesus dies, he also rises from the dead. And as he rises from the dead, he commissions this whole community of people, his followers, that that begin to live Out this story of God's grace, this story of God's reconciling love. And they start with a small group of people and they grow to several million over the first 200 years of the church. An amazing change. And we ourselves are part of that storyline. And it's all moving towards the day when God returns and makes everything new. A place that Revelation describes as having no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death where there's a fullness of life, where even the nations of the earth, which now seem in so much competition with each other, come together and bring their resources together in the kingdom of God, where creation itself overflows with life so that the tree of life in the center of that new city, of the center of God's kingdom, that tree of life is producing a crop 12 times a year, and the leaves of that tree become a healing balm for the nations. It's an amazing picture of a a flourishing world, a life full and robust, still with culture and and all of that, but the sin and the brokenness taken away. And the question for us is how do we live in this space between Christ's death and resurrection and the launching of his kingdom, the, the coming of the Spirit, and that new creation when God makes everything new? How do we live out our calling in this space? Last week, we talked about how we're sent. This week, we're going to talk about how the character of that sending. What is it we're to be doing in this space? And we're not talking so much about occupation. What job are we going to have? We're talking much more about what are the priorities what are the things that we as God's people in this time between Christ's death and resurrection and the, and the new heaven and new earth, what are we to set ourselves about doing? There's four things for us to pay attention to in what Deanie read for us this morning. The first is this, life is a gift from God's hand who created all things. If you would for a moment, Just put your hands out, just in front of you. I know movement in the church pew. Some of us got pinched for that as kids, and and so we have an aversion to doing any movement in our worship services. It's okay to move our bodies, all right? It's okay to move around. So hands out in front, and just for a moment, pretend someone is setting something in it, a a gift, a, a present that's being set in your hands. If you need to imagine a birthday or Christmas and it's a big present that you're so excited for, go ahead, go ahead, imagine that. This is life. God is giving the gift of life and he's putting it in our hands and he's saying, I'm trusting you with this treasure. I want you to have it. I want you to delight in it. Go ahead, open it up. So often I think we come to Christianity and we come to this understanding of God, an image of God, that God is somber and solemn and that there's no fun in being a Christian. And yet here what we hear is God is the gift giver, giving us a gift that he's intending for us to unwrap, to delight in, to explore, to wonder in, to celebrate If you read the Genesis account very, very closely at the beginning, not only do you get that command, be fruitful and multiply, go into the earth, fill the earth and subdue it or or take care of it, cultivate it, nurture it, but you get right after that a gift. And I give you every green green leaf, every plant that produces seeds, I give them to you as food. And the first thing God does after commissioning us and sending us out is gives us a gift. He says, this is for you. Go explore. Erwin McManus, who is a, a pastor out in California, Uh, he was reflecting on this passage and he said, you know, I have to wonder every time I read this why Adam didn't build a little uh, raft, throw it on the river and say, come on baby, we're going out. And just go explore. That's what we were created for. To explore the fullness of God's creation. To celebrate in each other's company. To embrace this robust gift of life. God, the gift giver the life giver. And we cannot understand our mission in this world. We can't really understand what Christ was doing in his death and resurrection unless we understand that God is the giver of this good gift of life. When we see God as the giver of life, we understand that what Christ is doing is returning life to us, returning the possibility of that full, zestful, robust life to us, returning to us that opportunity to walk with God in the garden or in the city or wherever we live, but to do so with joy and celebration. God, the giver of life. The second part is this. Receiving this gift, thankfully, With reverence for the Creator, we protest and resist all that harms, abuses, or diminishes the gift of life, whether by abortion, pollution, gluttony, addiction, or foolish risks. That last list is not meant to be exhaustive. If you read the other statements in Our World Belongs to God that come right after this, there's a whole bunch of other things that it outlines as abuse as well talks about greed. It talks about pornography and misuse of sexuality. It talks about workaholism and the way we can seek our identity in our work. It finds all sorts of things to name. So this this list is meant to give us a beginning place, not an ending place. A beginning place in the things that threaten life, the things that diminish life in this world. And part of what we are called to do in receiving this gift, thankfully, is to be like little kids who are protective of their Christmas toy. Now, I don't mean in a selfish way, but I mean in a way that those kids don't want that toy broken by a younger sibling right away, right? Right? Have any of you ever had that? You get that Christmas toy and you want to play with it and you want to make sure it's played with properly and you don't want it nicked or kicked or tripped over or thrown around or scuffed up. You want it for yourself. I had that with a little red fire engine. It was given to me when I was three years old and my sister was only a couple months old. And I don't remember it, but I hear stories about how protective I was of this little fire engine. And I wanted that for myself. There is in the same sense of that protectiveness, not the selfishness, but the protectiveness of it, that we're called to watch over the life God gives with a sense of thanksgiving for that life, but also a protection for that life. To say that anything that could harm this life, could harm this gift, we want to keep as far away as possible. Now, there is actually an impulse among the Jewish people as they were creating the rules and laws that went around how do we live out being God's people. And, and what they essentially said was, if God's law is this right here, we want to make sure that no one comes this close to breaking that law. And so they would add law after law and layer after layer, and it, it fell into a legalism. And that's not what this text is talking about. That's not the type of reaction. But what it is saying is, we honor the gift of life that God has given, so much so that when we see that life being abused or harmed, we rise up, and we resist and we protest. Did you catch that? The church's response to abuse and harm is to be a people who resist and protest. How many of us have been to a protest march lately? A few. A few of us have. It's not typically something we do, is it? We prefer good order. (laughs) Everything done in good order and good procedure, and and we don't like all the attention that comes with protesting, and we kind of wonder what's going to happen if we really do. But the people of God are called to be a people who resist and protest. Those things which take for granted, which abuse, which harm, which destroy life. The amazing thing here is is it even adds the word diminishes. Anything that diminishes, we are to be a people who resist and protest. Now for me, one of those places where I've had to learn this, and, and I've spent a lot of time personally, is around the issue of racism. I spent time in the early late 90s and early 2000s going through a whole bunch of trainings on how do we become an anti-racist culture. What do we do to, to resist racism when it shows up? It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's, in fact, at times quite challenging. How do we resist racism in a culture that is often built to give comfort quite frankly to white people of european descent if we live in north america between canada and the us many of our cultures and systems and structures are built that way how do we resist how do we protest in that culture the abuses and the uh, the mistreatment that has happened not only historically but that is currently going on to people of different colors and different ethnic backgrounds we as the people of God are called to enter into places like that. Now some of us may enter into that fully and, and jump into those conversations and get involved in the systemic undoing of racism. Some of us may be called, as it says, pollution to get invi- involved with environmental care and how do, we, how do we dig into our world and recognize that the environmental damage that's happening also leads to poverty for people leads to a huge part of the the war and conflict that's going on in other parts of the world, leads to famines and, and the refugee situation. That it's not just the violence of a few governments, but it's actually there's a whole bunch of migrants, people who are up and moving around because of the environment and the pollution that it's causing. We have people in our church who spend their careers and their occupations addressing that. I don't know which of the abuses that tugs at your heart, but we are all called to enter in, to protest and resist, to to live out of thankfulness for this gift of life in such a way that we pursue those places where we see the brokenness. We enter into it. We become advocates for a wholeness and for new life and for the value and dignity of each life, whether in the creation around us or whether in our fellow image-bearers of God. Next part gets a little more pointed for us. Because it is a sacred trust, we treat all life with awe and respect, especially when it is most vulnerable, whether growing in the womb, touched by disability or disease, or drawing a last breath. I was reading in Uh, a couple commentaries this week, and some of them pointed to John Calvin. And John Calvin, for those of you who don't know, was a a reformer back in the 1500s who greatly influenced a lot of the reform thinking that shapes our church. And and John Calvin, as he's writing uh, a commentary on the book of Exodus, actually talks about abortion already in the 16th century, and it shocked me because I thought this was much more of a contemporary issue And he speaks very vehemently in there against abortion, talking about how if it's wrong to murder a person in their own home, certainly it is wrong to murder a fetus in the womb. And God, Calvin starts speaking this this life for us. What does it mean to be a people who enter into the struggle of life and the vulnerability in those places of vulnerability? How do we walk in and protect people who are caught up in the brokenness of life? How do we enter into the places where people are most vulnerable? Quite honestly, our culture teaches us to run away from suffering. Our culture teaches us to run away from vulnerability. It teaches us to to put vulnerable people or people who make us feel uncomfortable in the homes and move them away from us out of sight, out of mind. So we don't have to see their poverty of spirit. We don't have to see any of their physical disabilities or intellectual or cognitive disabilities. It teaches us to move people who aren't like us and don't have life together away, out of sight. And instead, we as God's people are called to enter in to their suffering, to join them where they are at, to embrace them in the midst of their struggle, One of the ministries of this church that I am most thankful we have here is our friendship ministry. I think it is core to living this out that we as a people of God enter into and alongside others whose physical and cognitive abilities are not quite what we would call normal. And we walk alongside them and we discover God's grace and the fullness of life that they have that we might not have imagined. And in doing so, we begin to see that they bear God's image fully, even as we do. But this pushes us not just to think about ministries like that, but it starts to ask the question in giving these three examples of vulnerable places in life, of of the womb, of those caught up with diseases and disabilities, and, and with those who are towards the end of life. It prompts us to start thinking, who else around me is vulnerable? Who's vulnerable because of of poverty? Who's vulnerable because of lack of education? Who's vulnerable because of lack of health care? Who are the vulnerable ones around us and how do we walk alongside them? How do we become a community of people who sees the vulnerable and enters into their struggle? If you look at the historians who study the early church and the rapid growth of the early church you begin to hear stories about how how disease entered into a city and all the healthy people left and and they would move out of the city and it was the Christians who walked into those cities and those towns and began serving and ministering to the people who were dying and often at great risk to themselves that they themselves would contract the disease and end up dying but they went into those places, and part of the reason the true church grew so rapidly is because the people of God became known for loving those whom everybody else had abandoned. What if that was our reputation today? What if we had the reputation not just of making big political statements, but more importantly of making big life statements? That we are going to be a people who have room for and welcome those who everybody else wants to discard. That we as a people become those type of people who enter into the sickness and suffering and diseases and brokenness that others are experiencing because we know that God is with them. Because we know that God is the giver of life. Because we know that God is at work making all things new. What if we become that type of people? That's what we're called towards. Notice it's not an occupation. It's a characteristic of the way we live and of whom we're willing to associate with, to be the people who associate with those no one else wants to. That's our calling. And then a word of compassion. When forced to make decisions at life's raw edges, we seek wisdom in community, guided by God's word and spirit. In the whole contemporary testimony, this is one of the places I get choked up. I remember very clearly the summer my dad died. It went eight weeks from his diagnosis of kidney cancer, to the time we were burying him. It was a very short, quick time. We launched into all sorts of treatments right away. (laughs) We got the chemo going. We started talking about radiation. We started talking about what are the possibilities. And it became very clear within a couple weeks those things might only extend his life by a week or two longer than what it would if we didn't treat him. And we needed the community of God's people. We needed people surrounding us to say it's okay to stop treatment. We needed people walking with us to honor the life of my dad in the midst of his dying. We couldn't have done it as a family on our own. It was the people of God surrounding us and walking with us in that raw edge, that space where things didn't make sense, where we were more aware of the longing for God's kingdom and the end of the story. And we felt the absence of that end. We felt the in-between. We felt the the not-yet to the storyline of God's grace. If you read stuff, abortion statistics, oftentimes the abortions are not so much because a, a woman, as it's sometimes characterized, is just flippant or says, it's my body, I can do whatever I want. It's often tied into issues of poverty, It's often tied into issues of abuse. It's often tied into issues of other brokenness, those raw edges. And to be a people who speak for the promise of life and the goodness of life and who advocate for the fullness of life and advocate for a society that has laws about abortion, we also need to be a people who step into those places where we enter into the brokenness that often leads people to choose abortion to step into those places where we walk alongside people in the raw edges where there are no clear, easy answers and there is a lot of brokenness. We are called as a community, as a people of the Word and Spirit, as a people among whom God dwells even now, to be a people who are in those raw edges with each other and with our neighbors and with the world around us. Be a people who are not afraid to enter into the brokenness, but who are afraid afraid more that those who are caught up in the brokenness will be alone and only experience God's absence in the midst of it. We are called to be, as we often say, the hands and feet of Christ as we enter into those places of suffering, those raw edges that people experience. And if we remember that, that saying well, the hands and feet of Christ, we will also remember that it was his hands and his feet that were pierced, that suffered on our behalf. We are to be those hands and feet. We are to be the people of God who enter into the suffering of the world because we value and treasure the gift of life so much that we cannot stand to see it broken. Let's pray. You, God, are the giver of life. Way back in the beginning and all through history, you are the one who gives life and there is no other beside you. It is always and only your breath in our lungs that animates us that gives us the ability to live and move and have our being. And we thank you for that gift of life from the moment of conception until we draw our last breath and go home with you. Lord, teach us to honor and treasure and value that gift of life. Give us the courage to stand up for, and the zeal to stand up for life wherever you have caused it to grow, whether in the breadth of your beautiful creation or in the image of each person we encounter. May we see your beauty, your majesty, your goodness in each face. Help us to overcome our fears and our anxieties that we might love one another deeply because each person bears your image. Show us, Lord, where you would have us serve and how you would have us enter into the brokenness and suffering of the world around us even as you entered into our suffering. And may we too witness the resurrection life that you are even now bringing in all sorts of places we have never imagined as you continue to work this very day for your new heaven and new earth. And we do pray, Lord, that you would bring that day soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray. Amen.